Hey there, and thanks for tuning in. I've added this note to the beginning of my most recent and highest downloaded episodes to let you know of a few changes and hopefully avoid any confusion for you as listeners. You will hear me call the show Life After Business as well as reference various ventures I've been a part of over the years. When I started the show, I originally named it Life After Business because I was on a mission to learn everything I wish I would have known before we sold our family business back in 2014. And after 200 episodes and Tons of information that I've learned. I finally decided to change the name to better reflect me, the content, and the guests. One of the biggest lessons I've learned is business owners and entrepreneurs who were the happiest and most successful, in my mind, didn't focus only on sucking all the cash out of the company, and they knew the business was going to eventually continue on without them at some point in time. They literally knew exactly what they wanted from their business long term and why. They intentionally focused on building a valuable company so they could have the freedom of choices to do what they wanted from the business. So they focused on strategies that would grow value long term and give them the freedom to choose. You can learn more about the name change, my major lessons, and our definition of intentional growth in episode 200. Enjoy the episode that you're listening to right now, and thanks for being a listener. Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast that helps you understand how to increase the value of your business, what your company is worth, and what your exit options are. Host Ryan Tansom and his guests give you all the information you need to get clarity and control over your business and take pride in a valuable company that gives you freedom and choices to exit on your terms. Welcome back and thanks for tuning back in. This is episode 185 and I have one heck of an interview for you today. It is a gentleman named Steve Prefontaine who is lively, colorful, tells the brutal truth and is super comfortable being himself. He started a business called Scaf Cryogenics back in the late 90s with his dad where they bought a company that was only doing 500 grand in revenue that they were consulting for and then they turned it around, grew it up and sold it for 12 and a half million dollars to a public company named Chart Industries. Steve's on the show today to share with us everything that he learned from growing the company up, all the different strategies as they evolved, and then what happened along the way to eventually sell the Chart Industries, and then how that whole process and journey unfolded. What I loved about Steve and about this story is that all the way through to the negotiations of the sale of his company to a public company, he was able to be himself. He literally said he called up the CEO of Chart at eight o'clock at night and said, dude, let's just get this deal done. Steve had the ability to walk away at any given point because they built a good company. And Steve's able to share with us today how they grew the business and some of the strategies that they had in order to pay down debt, create a really good culture with good customer service that was envied across the industries and across the globe. And then what he did in order to have the ability to walk away, how they learned some of the ins and outs of selling a business by trying to take their company to market a first time, only to take it off the off the market and then double down on their growth strategies, eventually pay down a bunch of more debt and then pin five of the global competitors against each other for him to pick the right one that he wanted that hit all of his criteria for an eventual buyer, which is one, that money is important. Two is to pick the right company and it's in good hands for his employees and his cultures and his customers. And three is that his employees were going to be taken care of. Steve shares how he was able to walk away at any given point and that reflected in his negotiations 
or I would say lack thereof. And then what he's doing now, now that he's working for Chart. If you want to increase your odds of getting a successful outcome like Steve did, check out one of our two-day boot camps. They're based on our five intentional growth principles, and we're going to teach you how to grow the value of your company with the end in mind using two case studies of two different owners in two different companies. We're going to show how each of these owners understanding what they wanted and why, and then we're going to dive into valuations, net proceeds, and understanding how those fit into target annual incomes and how it relates to your outside net worth. We then dive deep into the big buckets of exits between ESOPs, private equity, third-party exits, internal transfers, and how each of those are structured, how the funds flow, and how they impact valuations, when and how you get your money, and your role post-closing, and then how understanding principles one, two, and three will help you double down on your value growth strategy to increase your odds that you can get exactly what you want, and then how to hire your team of advisors that can optimize the plan to get you where you want to go. We just got done with one here in Minnesota where we had 15 entrepreneurs who walked out with clarity and a solid understanding of how to go get what they want by intentionally growing the value of the business in light of where they want to go. So without further ado, here's my interview with Steve Prefontaine. Sponsored by Arcona's Growth and Exit Boot Camps. Two days jam-packed with material on the five growth and exit principles and the world of mergers and acquisitions. You'll walk away knowing exactly what steps to take to get your target valuation and your best exit option. Two days at Arcona's Boot Camp will give you the clarity to control the rest of your journey as an entrepreneur. Good morning, Steve. How you doing? I'm awesome. How are you? Good. I'm excited to have you on the show. You and I were just uh, rallying back and forth, and I can tell this is going to be a fun one. We might have to hit explicit because I think you and I both have the same kind of vocabulary. Yes, <laughs> but, we do, for sure. <laughs> so, I, uh, I, you know, you, you and I got introduced to a mutual friend, and you had sold to one of the businesses here in town or in Minnesota, and for the you know chart and for the one of the you know for the listeners who are not familiar with your story and I'm you know fairly fresh into understanding it too how did you become an entrepreneur was it accidental you said that uh, you know before we hit record that you were uh, working with your dad so how did it how did it all come to be well as an entrepreneur I started when I was a kid and, and you know I was just I grew up in it so there was no way around it it was one of the only things that I knew how to do uh, my father growing up had his own business that we weren't involved with until we were older because as you know, growing up in a family business, there's only one way to come up and start the rock bottom. So we had to cut lawn outside for oh, two yeah. years before we even came <laughs> into, the, into the office. So, so before that, at 12 years old, I started cleaning cars. I, I'm, I'm a car buff. And uh, my father said, well, if you're going to be cleaning cars, you might as well do it for money. And he sat me down and taught me, you know, a general budget at 12 years old and how to, oh, wow. how to maintain um, finances and things like that. So, I started then, and uh, by the time I was 18 and in college, I had two locations, one in Massachusetts, one in Maine, and I uh, had a kid running it, a guy run on both locations, and I went back and forth, and that's how I started out in, in, to be an entrepreneur. That's awesome. So when did you, going from there, when and how did the, the journey progress to working with your dad? What was, that, what was his family business? The family business was a kind of in the business that Chart is in, but on the distributor side. So he was an dis- uh, industrial gas and welding supply distributor with five locations throughout uh, central Massachusetts and New Hampshire. And he owned it. He bought it from his dad at age 26 um, in 1969. Wow. And then he had it in all the way up uh, until 1990. He sold off to a major company called Airgas. So were you working in the business when he 
did you work for him at all during that that stint? Well, it's funny because he, you know I always as a kid, my two older brothers, I'm the youngest of three boys, and they they started before I did, and I always I always said we laugh about it to this day. I always said I don't I didn't want to go to work for him, and, but I ended up going to work for him when I was <laughs> when I was in school, and I you know and I started I got engaged and, and my life turned serious, and so I started off um, learning how to pump liquid cylinders and how to uh, do all the stuff in the shop, and then my first journey into the office was being a repo manager. So I literally went on the road in a pickup truck with my dog and a sidearm and repoed uh, liquid, <laughs> liquid cylinders and weld, welding machines from some really obscure far out places in, in the woods of New Hampshire and Massachusetts. And it was really, it was pretty scary. But, you know, I look back and I'm like, oh my God, I literally just walked into piece of people's houses, broke glass, opened doors and took our welders back. It was hilarious. And that, that was my, my only thing I did with them. And, um, you know, cops called and when you're on people's locations and things like that. So it was a, it was an amazing experience. But from there, I kind of went into the um, collections and, and uh, you know, AR and all that stuff. So well, that makes um, sense. It, it, was, that's when he doing, sold. You do collections <laughs> with a, with a sawed off shotgun. <laughs> yeah. Oh I mean, it was, it was just great, man. It was, it was a lot of fun. And, and I had a really cool uh, female American Eskimo dog, which is, I don't know if you know, but it's oh, a man. white, white fluffy dog. And so she was small. And so we got to this far out place in, in uh, New Hampshire and I get out of the truck and a Rottweiler was coming at me. I just let her out. She'd play with him. I'd go steal my stuff and I'd get back in the truck and call the dog. <laughs> oh, okay. It was some good stories, man. That is, that's amazing. Like I, I started off doing meter reads. So I would call doing collections, but it was, I'd have to ask someone for their copy or meter read so I could build them. Very, very different. There yep. was no, no shotguns and no dogs involved. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, I went into this one place and I, and I remember, and I knocked on the woman's door and she said, my, my husband's not here. And so I, I, I wasn't giving her a hard time, but I was serious. I'm like, well, we're here. You're back like six months of payment. So I need to take that information. So they had this garage of kind of like a breezeway connected and then a house. So you could see, see, see way out to the back. And here comes this truck, Ryan, about 100 miles an hour. And it's the husband. He's coming to just beat the crap out of me. It was, uh, it was, it went from that and him holding me by my neck to them serving me breakfast and coffee and five minutes later, cause I just sweet talked him. So it was, um, it was, it was a fun time. That was, and I did that for a year and a half. Oh my gosh. So, so as we, cause it sounds like it was all kind of related to the same business that you guys, that you've stayed in. So for a, for a bit, yeah, for a bit, I, I took a break and went out and I, I actually, um, when I graduated college, which is right around the time I was doing that work in 1990, actually is the exact year. I actually moved to the East coast of Florida and got a job right out of college as a buyer and general manager for the largest cheese importer in the country. That was a subsidiary of Kraft General Foods in Philip Morris, USA. So it was, I did that for four years. So that was a pretty cool part of my life. It was, it was neat to grow up in an entrepreneur family and then go to a big company like that and, and, and look at the other side and see corporate mm -hmm. America and how it acts and how it responds. But yet I took all my, you know, I guess, I don't want to say entrepreneur skills, but I took mm -hmm. all those entrepreneur ethics with me growing up in a small business where no matter what you, what you could do, you had to do everything. And my father, I never forget these words. He offered me the best advice walking out of the house. He said, listen, you're going to work from someone else for the first time in your life. You do yourself one favor. I said, what's that? He says, go to work every day. Like you own the place. And I don't care what type of situation it is. Make sure you act like it's your dollar and you'll never go wrong. And I did that. And for every action I did, every decision I made, I just thought it was my business. And it was successful. And, and you know, it, was, it was really neat to do that. And then I moved back from Florida 
got a divorce, hard time in my life, got a divorce, came back and um, started, uh, I was a finance manager for Chrysler Credit. Go oh, figure. No and uh, yeah, I'm a car buff too. So that was kind of fun. So I, you know, I did that for about a year and a half when the phone call came. It was my father and he said, Hey, remember SCAF cryogenics? And I'm like, yeah, it was, you know, we, we actually used to lease our cryogenic tanks off of them at my dad's business. He said, well, we have an opportunity here. Are you bored? I'm like, well, kind of. He goes, well, come, won't you meet me for dinner? We'll come, we'll talk about it. So he was called by the owner, uh, owner's wife of SCAF cryogenics. And, um, he had, the owner had passed away. My father knew him. He's, you know, somewhat friends with them. And, uh, she was to no fault of her own. She, the business was going south really quick. Mm-hmm. And um, it was kind of a weird situation. Her partner, her husband's old partner was a shop guy. She was the bookkeeper and neither one of them knew which way to go. So yep. they called my father in to be a consultant. And then he called me to be a consultant. And we went in there, long story short, after about a year and a half, we turned that business around. We doubled their highest year ever in a year and a half. And I looked at my dad and I said, hey, we either buy this thing or I'm, I'm leaving because I just can't work for pennies every single day and, and work seven days a week. So we went to her and offered her to buy the business. She lost her mind and had a meltdown. And then about a week later, came back to us and said, okay. And then it, the story goes from there. And we ended up purchasing the business uh, in two, uh, 1997. So I want to I want to peel uh, the onion back in like a couple of these parts because uh, one is like where in that journey was it working at the cheese importer that you that your dad sold and then what did he learn or what what were some of the big takeaways from that and then what were some of the ways that you maybe that kind of rolls right into Steve like how you guys purchased it like was there any kind of like typical way of valuations or how like the deal structure that you you and your dad learned from him selling or like what how did that kind of come to be. Yeah, he sold when he sold in nineteen ninety and this was ninety, you know, he started as a consultant in end of like mid ninety four. And so he had four years of not doing much but, you know, doing some real estate investment. So he knew that structure. I mean, he sold his business. It was a it was a big business, you know, seventy five employees, five locations, the whole bit, and sounds like what you were kind of familiar with. And so when it comes time to buy the business from her, I mean, their biggest year was $300,000 in sales with five employees. So it was a tiny business and they were about a week away from bankruptcy when we first went in there. So a year and a half later, you know, we bumped it, we we, uh, increased sales to about 600,000, a little bit over. And so the valuation was simple. It was not a dramatic thing like selling to a major corporation like he did earlier mm-hmm. by himself. And, you know, Air, Air Gas is the biggest gas company in the country. And, and if I dare say probably the world at this point. But, you know, it wasn't structured like that. The fight with corporate America it was a sat down with the owner and said, listen, this is the biggest year you had in sales. This is where we are. And we paid her fair market value. We ended up giving her a good offer and she took it. And for her, you know, it was perfect timing to get out of the business and she had no desire to be there. And so it wasn't, it wasn't complicated. It was probably the easiest thing in the world to say, Hey, listen, this is what we think the business is worth. This is what, you know, we're doing in sales. This is what your debt is. And what do you think? It was that simple, Ryan. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, it's compared to what we just went through, you know, two, two and a half years ago, just over two years ago. (laughs) To a public company. Totally totally different. (laughs) Yeah. This is a bag of the napkin there. Let's, let's wash it down of the agreement with the handshake. That's pretty much what it was. I mean, we, we literally sat in, a, in the conference room in our old building and, and that's pretty much what it was. You know, we, we wrote a number on a piece of paper and showed her financials and, and literally back then we didn't have computers, man. We didn't have the internet. So yeah. we, we, this is all on paper, you know? So we literally just handed it to her and she said, fine. And we, we, you know, paid her cash right away and, and we went on from there. So, so then day one, my dad looks at, 
Well, I was just, I was just say I wanted to go. I want to go back into the day one, but I'm curious on like, and maybe you were about to explain this is like, so you and your dad are now partners, right? So you've you've watched him and you've worked, you know, you've worked for him in the past. Now you guys are partners. How you know one of the biggest challenges I see people is like distinguishing the difference in the roles between ownership and roles and responsibility, and how you get paid on roles and responsibility versus ownership. Like how like what was the agreement that you guys had going into this? Oh, it's funny. That's what I was, and I, and I, I don't know if it was, uh, I knew you were going to ask that question, but <laughs> day one, he looks at me, Ryan, he says, all right, listen, I have no desire in running this business. <laughs> you know, we'll do it together for a little bit, but I want to start a leasing business. And I think we have a, there's a big future in leasing. And this was the uh, end of 96, beginning of 97. So basically what he was doing was the same thing I did in the car business when leasing and, and setting up finances for customers who couldn't afford to bring up the capital right away. So he goes, I want to do that. I have no desire to run, have people problems. I have no idea, no desire to wear my, my priest hat, my teacher hat, and all the different hats you have to do as an owner with all the employee problems that you do, you're going to deal with that. So he says, you run Scaff Cryogenics. I'm going to start a leasing company. Back then, we called it BP Tanks. My father's initials is Bob Prefontaine. So he called it BP Tanks, and we separated the, the 50-50. So that lasted for a little while, and was starting to drain money out of the business. So we actually started a sister company in, in 98 called Cryo Lease. And it was set up just for leasing tanks to customers who didn't have the capital, you know, startup distributors, things oh, like yeah. that, end yeah, users. Yeah. That's awesome, because like, that's and so it, it, it really grew. So it really grew like crazy. So pretty much the same type of thing you were in the copying business, I would imagine, yeah. in that type of leasing. And then we get into building portable trailers for customers that would be short-term leases that are literally like a machine to print money. And, you know, it was it was a lot of fun. So I did the repair business. He did the leasing company. And both businesses flourished like crazy. You know, of course, I always picked his brain. He always was involved. But um, for the most part, we ran separate businesses. And, um, and then we got on in years probably around 2002 and three, um, we ended up growing out of that building and moving to a bigger, bigger building, a huge acreage and a, you know, three times the size of the building. So we really separated at that point. We both businesses just went nuts. It was fantastic. So, Never one argument in 24 and a half years with them either. That, that's no the most kidding. coolest part about the whole experience. Not, not even one. I mean, not even a disagreement. We're both Virgos. We're both anal. We're both have the same mindset and uh, literally not one argument. Probably so the can, best can man I, to ever own a business with. Why? Why do you think, what, what, what is that? What do you attribute that to? He's, he, he was already through it. He already been through the nightmares of owning the business when he was younger. And this is a man that's 50 years old. I'm, you know, at that time I was 25, 26. And so, you know, he just mentored and was very calming. Um, nothing riled him up. We had this customer next door that we actually sold one of the buildings that the old owner used to have to him. So then we had to lease back some paint space and some, a blast room. And he would come over and he would scream at my dad up and down, <laughs> yell at him one, you know, like you wouldn't believe it. I'm, I'm in the next office getting like really angry. I'm going to go in and kill this guy. Right. But I'd go in, my father has to have a smile. My father has a smile on his face and the guy would let, let the guy get all worked up and then tell him what we're going to do and always got his way. It, he was the most calming influence that I've ever seen in a guy. And he's still like that to this day at 80 years old. So it, was it because it, like he had already been kind of, it was, I don't know if he was financially free and he was doing it for the love of the game at this point and just didn't need to care or was it just his more? His no, no, it was, that's his temperament. That's unbelievable his temperament. And I think back in the day when he had his earlier business, he was beat up by a, the banks in a really bad way. He uh -huh. had a nice line of credit with this with this bank and and uh, was always paying on time. And, and then out of the blue, 
you know, we're talking, you know, three, four million dollar line of credit. And out of the blue, they called the loan. Oh, my God. And Been there. No, re- <laughs> no reason, no reason to do it. No background to do it whatsoever. And it was funny because it was at the time that he was trying to sell anyways, and they did not know that. So he said, fine, closed on the business, walked into the bank, handed him a check and told them all, you know what? <laughs> it was and oh that's not like my father. You that know, sounds he, very similar to my story. Oh, by the way, when we got like, <laughs> like, our story was very similar to that, Steve. And then the bank had the nerve to ask us to keep the money there. <laughs> Like, they did the same thing and I'll yeah. never forget it. The look <laughs> on his face. I, and I learned so much from that being his, being his son and not even being with them. I learned so much from that just by hearing him talk and, and hearing him describe the situation. So you get beat up enough like that. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, we all get our bumps and bruises owning a business for sure. And getting beat up like that, doing it all over again with, with a small business, you know, you have, he, you know, when we sat down, he said, listen, I've been through the problems. I made the same money I did when we did 1 million than I did when we were doing 10 million in sales. So with 10 times a headache. So what we're not going to do is we're not going to do that again. That's my only advice for you. So grow the business slow and Mm -hmm. smart. And that's just the way it was his temperament, man. It's he just, he's still like this to this day. That's super cool. So a couple of things that I want to dive into is kind of like the growth part of this, Steve, before we get into the the exit, because, you know, first yep. of all, the there's a couple parts of the growth and we can take this whatever way you want is that I'm interested. In, I want the I want to make sure we pull out is one is like on the different companies and stuff like that. So the fact that you guys never had any arguments is fantastic. It sounds like, you're, you know, the both your guys' temperament and integrity is there. But I think even for the best people in the world, it becomes a challenge if they don't set up their operating agreements correctly. Or like, I don't know if you had like, maybe kind of just run over the structure of like, you know, did you guys both own 50-50 of the leasing company and your repair business? And the reason I asked before you, you, you give an answer to this is, what happens is growth happens and then there's all of a sudden like this fight of like, okay, who's doing what, who's bringing what value, who owns what, and then it becomes confusing, especially then if you throw in real estate and there's all these valuable assets that become uh, you know, apparent and then there's just no communication of how all the different roles and responsibilities work. And you know, inside of that kind of observation or question is the, the leasing part. And we can maybe take this after you answer this because that is really intriguing because that was very much like our old business, which is becomes very valuable as an asset compared to just a transactional <laughs> company because of the, how you're structuring um, the business with the customers. So maybe just kind of give us the setup first. And does, does that question make sense? No, it totally sense. And, and, and I'm smiling because it, it, it was, uh, it, we, it seems like we've walked down the same paths and, and, and I think a lot of people do, but more so you and I, and, you know, so he looked at me day one when he told me, I'm going to run SCAF. And so we own SCAF 50-50 to both of us. Yep. He went out because let's face it, at 26 years old, I didn't have a, a pot to pee in. So we yep. basically, I, I gave him every ounce of money I had to buy my shares. And so what happened over those years was he took, in order for me to buy my 50% of the business, he, we just took the pay um, money out of my check every single week. It took me 12 and a half years. Yep. And so that's how I literally purchased my half of the business. But he owned, he had the, the investment money to do that. So he bought, he financed Crowley's himself out of his pocket to start, to start growing and to, before we went to the banks. And he also, when we moved in 03, he also bought the land, built the building out of his own pocket. So, you know, we went to the bank for a loan, but he signed for it. I did not. So I own 50% of the repair business, which was the biggest portion of our company. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was, you know, brought in most of the sales, but 
key finance the rest of it. So it was very simple. Steve, you have 50% of ownership with me right day one. And I'm doing these two things. And are you okay with that? I'm like, yeah, because, you know, Ryan is a 26 <laughs> yeah, year old. You know, we, 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 all, we all know nothing, right? We all know everything, but we really know nothing. Yep. And so I thought a leasing business was stupid. <laughs> oh, <it ended laughs> being such an amazing business. Oh, I know. <laughs> and it was, you know, and I, I look at him like, I don't want to deal with leasing tanks. But the cool part is, it ended up being a sister company and one of our biggest customers because I would charge him like I would an air gas or, you know, a large, a large gas company. I'd give him those type of discounts. Discounts, but he would in the beginning we would do everything through SCAF and it ended up being too tough because we'd go out and buy a tank, we'd rehab it, make it brand new again, and then we'd have to wait five years to get our money back on that for rate of return because we'd do small lease payments. And but then he, when he, we separated, then it's like, okay, you go get and wait forever to get your money back. I'm going to rehab that tank for you and I'm going to bill you right away. I want my money right away. So <laughs> that's how we actually operated. And it become it was actually the best joke, and we still to this day laugh about it. He'd come in my office. He goes, "What the hell is this bill for?" And I would actually charge him like he was a customer because he was, you know, and that, and we had to keep the business separate in it to order to make it work. Well, and so so it, it, was, just, it was a blast. I want to put an ex- exclamation point on that is keeping it separate and keeping it the right way. Cause I see too many people put everything into a blender between all the stuff we talked about from the building, the land, the operate, the different operating companies, roles, responsibilities, ownership, and multiple companies. I see it every single day, which is where most conflicts yep. arise from. So, you know, before he was burnt in the past with other businesses, so he yeah. knew that that was just that knowledge he came with. I mean, he was really guys. burnt by two partners, and and re- yeah, exactly. He was burnt real bad by two other partners in real estate. So they both left the table and held him, you know, let him hold the bag. And so he knew how to structure it. And I, of course, <laughs> the trust level for my dad in the respect, not just because he's my father, just because type of guy he was. I didn't even question it, and I didn't yeah. care. Right. And so, you know, we kept three businesses separate. The business, the land and the building was called Prefontaine Properties. The cryo lease business was the leasing company and SCAF Cryogenics was the actual repair shop. And the funny part is cryo lease and SCAF, we, we paid rent to Prefontaine Properties every single month for the building and the space. It was, it was hilarious how we had it set up, but it was the right way to do it. Right. it. To answer your point and get back to that, we kept everything completely separate and it was the smartest thing to do. Well, and yeah, I, it's... I totally agree with you. And that's where I, I see so many conflicts arise from that. So if anybody's taking anything away from that, it's like, even if you are benefiting, you know, different owner, I mean, if you give you the same owner of all this stuff, but it, you're like, first of all, it makes it clean for if anything comes down the road, which I'm assuming we'll get to, but you know, even the, you know, the confusion that happens with partners, I mean, it just becomes ugly and I see it literally every day. So the, you know, going yep. back to, uh, <laughs> The leasing. So like, I want to go back and like, maybe kind of, if you can give, you know, the, the listener just an overall rundown, like I'm curious on the overall business model. I think I've got a fairly good understanding, but you've got the manufacturer, you're the wholesaler, the distributor, you know, repair and leasing kind of just walk us through the whole business model and the supply chain, because I think it's interesting. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's, let's pay, let's keep it simple first. So when we just owned SCAF and the cryo lease business wasn't started, we just had the SCAF business. So we would go out, you know, say it was uh, Scott and Steve cryogenics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Bob and Steve cryogenics. And we just went out, we bought a tank for 5,000 bucks. We spent 12 grand to rehab it. And so you're into it. Now you got to make a profit on that, right? Yep. So we have to figure in that to a lease payment to a customer. So then we got to sit there and wait three and a half to five years to get our money back. And it's like for a company that's just starting out and cash poor, it's like, okay, this is just stupid. So <laughs> we, you know, we learned after about a year that we just can't do it. And that's my father. My father had the idea to do the leasing company anyway. That was his thing. He just knew how to do it because he, in the, in his old business, they leased out cylinders to mm-hmm. customers. And that's what that, you know, the distributed business does. And so he's like, we can do this with bulk tanks. So then he separated it. 
and then got loans with the banks, very, very simple loans. And of course, the banks had no clue what a cryogenic tank was and no clue what a lease program was. And so I said, Dad, this is what we got to do. We got to set it up kind of like a car lease is set up. And so with my background with, with the car business, I, right. you know, we kind of set it up the same way and we did the same, you know, same methodology with that. So bottom line is he then now cryolease would go out and buy a tank for that 5,000. And I'm just using round numbers, rehab it for 15. So now he's into it for 20 grand. He wants to make 50% on it. And so then he'd have me rehab it. So all I cared about was rehabbing that tank for him and charging him the 15 grand. I made my 35%. Yeah. Now yeah. he takes that money, borrows that money from the bank, you know, and then sends it out to a customer for five to seven years with an automatic renewal. Who owned the And paperwork? so in three and a half to five, SCAF did. I mean, uh, Cryolease did, the leasing company. Okay. So the, the, oh, oh, the actual paperwork, the bank did yeah. until that loan's well, paid. Well, no, I actually, like, let's just, just for clarification, because the reason, the context behind my question is, uh, so the leasing company build the client, right? So that, that what was different from our oh, business? Oh, yes. We had nothing to do with it. Yeah, the, so here, the repair business was done. Here's what's interesting with this though, is like for a copier business, so we would sell the copiers as a distributor and we would, then we actually white labeled leasing. So we had leasing programs with five different uh, banks. And so we would actually white label it. So we, we owned all the paperwork with our clients. So we had $13 million worth of like contracts or something like that. So like, it was our yep. customer and then the bank was then white labeled and then they would actually send the invoices out to the client and then actually give us the pass through. <laughs> so like they had this. Yeah, I understand. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just that that was kind of the, the purpose behind my question. Totally different. So basically the, the leasing company, the minute I was done that rehab and that tank was perfect, I would build Cryolease for it, get paid for that right away. Mm-hmm. I was, you think I was strict on other customers. I was so strict at him. I'd walk in and go, Hey, you're 30, you're 32 <laughs> days pay up. <laughs> so it was, that was the fun part. That was yeah. the great part about the business. We just busted each other's chops constantly. So, but and then he'd go out. Now the cool thing about these tanks and the way it works and especially the trailers now, I mean, a leasing company does, you know, 85, 90 grand, 110 grand a month now. Mm-hmm. And just, and it's just cash rolling through the door. And so the way we would set it up is it was the contracts are set up as automatic leases. So these small companies, you know, they don't want to come up with a 30, 40 grand it cost to buy a tank. They would rather pay the 275 bucks a month. Right. We have tanks out there that he put out in 1998 that are still in the field collecting right. that, that monthly lease payment. So, okay. I'm not joking. I, I, all right. Well, now, <laughs> now I'm gonna, we're going to get a little technical on, on the, on the listeners here, but like, so was it dollar out or fair market value? And like, how are you able to keep a lease out there or is it a rental program or like? It's a rent, it's a leasing rental program with at the end of the, say they call up and wait, we want a five-year lease. It yep. automatically renews unless they send the tank back. And so they just keep paying on it and paying on it and paying on it. So you think, I mean, do you the math, fully- 200, <laughs> 300, 300. 300 bucks, you, you could, the customer could have bought that tank 10 times over. I was going to say, you, they, they, they've out of guys sight, have... out of mind for them. Boy. It's just awesome. It really was. And it's not, and we, and we maintain it, you know, and they, yeah. they, there's no, there's no guesswork for them. They just pay the 300 bucks and, you know, they, they, they'll make a killing on the liquid that sits in that tank. So yeah. they don't care. And it's out of sight, out of mind. There's probably, you know, 15 of them still out there like that, you know, that are 20 plus years old. <laughs> It's absolutely amazing. And so you pay 300 bucks a month and you do that times 20 something, you know, just go 20 years and oh, your value of the tank that originally, originally cost 20 grand. 
Oh, that's amazing. It goes back to like I, the stories I used to hear about the copier industry, which by the way is why no one trusts a copier sales rep. Is that like, <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a, like, I had a guy, I had a, one of my it's clients. so true too, dude. Very true. <laughs> yeah. You came from the car business. I came from the copier business. No one trusts anybody that's right. listening to this. <laughs> Neither yeah. business whatsoever. <laughs> oh God. Like my dad, like this is back before the internet and before they were like really like the buyers understood financing. And so they go out yep. there and they would fund because again, the, my, the, the, the company business or the family business would, you know, bundle all this stuff in. So you'd bundle in maintenance and all this shit. And the next thing you know, it's going to be, you know, a thousand bucks a month and it would be on a fair market value or even a dollar out. So the end of the lease would come out and they would literally own it, but then it just renews. And my dad would go out there and be like, well, we're going to put a scanner on it now. And then you're going to re-sign for another four years. So we would actually get funding right. up front and we get a check for like another 50 that, that, grand. That, yeah. Now you, now you know why no one wanted to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, that well, thing. These, tanks, these tanks don't go bad though. That's the funny part. There's nothing wrong with them. Like there's no maintenance to them whatsoever. Very, 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 like 20 years, you might go over there once. And so there's really no maintenance to them. And usually the gas companies that are filling the tank took care of them. They, they're the ones that watched them because they're the ones filling it. And so they, it was just, it was amazing. So say, say you turn, Ryan Cryogenics, you turn the tank in, right? Mm-hmm. And so that tank comes back and now it's in the stock. And then I, the repair business would turn around and rehab it again and get it ready for the next lease customer for another five to seven years or whatever the case may be. But there's no maintenance to this stuff. And it just sits out there because nothing, it's a tank. It's a thermos bottle. That's all these things are. Right. A thermos bottle. It's just like the one you put your coffee in, you know, you can put your coffee in, but it doesn't get hot to the touch. It's yep. because there's insulation in there. So it's the same thing. It's just cold. That's all. So then, it, it was, it's just amazing. The leasing business it. was fantastic. So then, um, when you like, let's talk about the growth path then. So like, as you're, as you're growing this, now that I understand that the back end structure of how you guys had everything set up, like what were like, what were some like milestones that you can, um, that you can, uh, disclose with us as far as like employees growth size and like over the course of the 24 years. And like, what were some of the big, uh, wins and challenges? Well, the challenge, the challenge at, you know, at the, at the very beginning was the size of the building we were in, and, and it was decrepit and beat up. It didn't have heat, and we live in, and was in New Hampshire. Go figure. And so every single day, this is no joke, every night we'd go home in the winters, and we'd, put, we'd have electric heaters in all the office. There was a heater in the shop, but that was it, but it didn't go to the office part. So we'd have electric heaters and four of them going. So we joke every night. The red coils that can start Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, we're talking late 90s. So... You know, we'd, go, we'd, we'd leave every night and I'd look at Bob and I'd go, well, it'd be great if this place is still here in the morning. And we'd laugh about it coming <laughs> you down got the stairs. insurance, hopefully? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. So th- that was our biggest challenge. I mean, you can't run a respectable business and do the high-end repairs in stainless steel welding and everything that we're doing in a building that this, that this was. So once we got the, the business built up a little bit, is in 99, we said, okay, we, we got to start looking for land. So we did. We found a property, uh, 20 acres, and that needed to be developed about three towns over about half an hour away. And, um, we, we found it and we built and we, by the time we moved in, it was October of 03. That was the biggest challenge. And, you know, it, it was embarrassing when you have a building that you really didn't want a customer to come up to see. And mm-hmm. in this business, those customers are visiting all the time. So that was one of the biggest hurdles. And then of course, with that comes bigger, more business more employees and that thing. So, you know, that, that growth, I think that was the biggest challenge we faced at first was that growth spurt that 
comes naturally when you grow when you have to build a new building and you know you get more customers it's it's we kept it simple right we, we didn't over overthink the business at all which you know is something bob taught uh, me as a young young adult and and we just kept it simple the entire way and i didn't look to i guess one of your questions we're probably going to get to is you know how did you intend to sell it yes and no Okay. I think because if you want to go go there now, I'd love to. And yeah, yeah. I so and my I biggest thing was let's let's uh, let's build a business and let's focus on the most important thing to me in any business should be for anybody. It, sales you can have any if you have a good product you can have anybody sell it after the sale. And what's the most important thing to keep customers coming back is customer service. And to me, we treated our customers like their family. And still have relationships to this day, even though I'm, I'm winding down my career that I formed when I was 25, when I first got into business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you look at that and I, so my, my biggest focus was keep this business honest, keep this business clean and treat customers as if they were family. And that's how that focus kept. And we still did the same thing every day up until the day we sold 24 and a half years later. So you know, and, and with that, we, of course, we all went through that 08, 09 period where, you know, that was difficult for the first time in my career. I had to let four people lay them off. And that to me was crushing because my, you know, you get, you get this relationship with your employees and how close we treated them and how much like family we treated them and watch their kids grow up and you have to lay kids up, kids off. And it's mm -hmm. like, Oh, it, it was tough. So you know, once we got to a point and we were growing big and we understood what the business was, then we started thinking, okay, is someone going to come knocking on our door one day? Because we are one of four in the country that do what we do. Oh, no kidding. And the oldest. Um, the oldest was in Pennsylvania. They went out of business in 08, I think. And so here's Scaff up in the Northeast, this little family-owned business. That was the oldest in the country because Scaff Cryogenics was started in 1978 by the original owner. So out of a barn in, in New Hampshire, a horse barn, actually. So, you know, we started understanding what we had and started then going, okay, what do we need to do to get the business to, to be saleable at, you know, in, in another 10 years or whatever it was, and it ended up being just about that. And so then we started thinking, okay, growth crossing the country, you know, let's just because we're in New Hampshire doesn't mean we can't do business in Alaska. And sure enough, uh, we ended up uh, doing a huge business with Fairbanks Natural Gas on a bunch of LNG lease trailers that hmm. Bob did through the leasing company. Scaff repaired them, bought them, sold them to the leasing company. And he had trailers on lease out there from, oh God, early 2000s, all the way up until 2017. So I want to get, so, I want to, I want to, I want to get into that, Steve, but I want to like just go back and clarify a couple of things because yep. I think it's, you know, it's interesting. So at this point, cause you said it was 10 years by the time you sold. So that this would have been what, Oh, like right around the financial crisis that you said, okay, someone's going to come knock yep. So did your dad yep. have like, okay, I don't know what the size of the, the leasing company is versus uh SCAF and like how that was working, but like, you know, did your dad, because he'd already gone through an exit, just look at things differently and then explain maybe some of the, the, some of the big takeaways of that conversation that made you look at your business differently. And because, I mean, our boot camps, we call them intentional growth, grow the value of your company with the end in mind, yep. because 
it's, it takes intentionality and it took you 10 years, which I think is just amazing because it too many times, Steve, like in a lot of the people that run this show, shit just happened to them. They got an out of the blue offer or something happened. And like, there's like this whole, like, I wish I would have done things differently over the last 10 years. So like, maybe yeah, it, it, you're right. What happened in those conversations? And then how did that impact your strategy going forward? Well, you know, it was funny you said that because right around that time um, is when we did what we said we weren't going to do. In, in 07, when things were great, uh, 06 and 07, we started growing and started hiring a ton of people instead of doing it the smart, slow way. And we were fat, you know, and then 08 hit. And then we're, we're, I walk out in the shop and I could see from one end of the shop to another without one piece of equipment in the, in the garage being being worked on. And I, I just about fell on the ground and had a heart attack. Oh my God. <laughs> then we, you know, not one thing. We had guys, we didn't want to lay anybody off. So the guys that have been with us forever, we had them painting walls, cleaning the shop. We, we just kept them busy all day. So we wouldn't have to lay anybody off. So the last, the four people we did lay off were the last four to come through the door. So, you know, they were, it's, it was a uh, seniority basically. So we took care of all the long-termers that we had with us for 20 years. And then when we said, okay, this is what we have, this is where we're going, and we made it through that, and then we started to look at that strategy. And one of the biggest things that Bob said to me was, if we're going to do this, we got to think of it as drive down debt. Because in this business, it's, it's capital intensive, right? I mean, you have to go out and you buy huge cryogenic tanks, and you need money to do that. So, of course, we just went through our, our lines of credit with the bank. Yep. And so we had this, all this money sitting out there on both companies, really, on, on the leasing side and the SCAP side. And we, we had to figure out a way to drive that debt down in order to get there. So we spent, and the, you know, we probably started really pushing hard the 2012, because in 08, 09 was when all the crap happened. And then in 2012, people started knocking on our doors. And then we got a taste of what that was like. So we had some companies overseas um, from India. And uh, they came to visit us first and the, for the way they wanted to buy us right away. And we said no. And so because we weren't ready. And so we just kept that model of driving debt down, paying off debt and becoming as debt free as you could possibly come in our business and mm -hmm. get ready for that type of atmosphere. And so we ended up doing business with this company, India, from 03 all the way up into 2012. And we imported their tanks to compete with the company that bought us. And so that was the cool part. And then, you know, Chart actually came to us in 12 and looked at us as well. And it just wasn't the right time for both of us, um, both so, companies. And so we just kept doing what we were doing. And, okay, so yeah, it I, was fun. And I was gonna say, let's, okay, so one thing is, I, I think you made a big, really good point that you're paying down debt. I mean, I, I can't tell you, Steve, how many people I've talked to like, oh, if we sell, we have to pay down our debt. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, and, well, if you want to get any money at the end, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's right. And so like, there's two different, like, it, it, it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I interviewed a guy uh, years ago about, uh, he, he owned, uh, runs a big private equity firm. He said, there's only three ways private equity firms who buy companies for to make money, make money. One is they increase the EBITDA. Two is they increase the multiple. And three is they pay down debt. And like, so you just nailed yep. down one, which is because again, if you're paying down debt, just like in real estate, it means when you sell, you're going to put more in your pocket. But then there's the other ones of increasing the multiple in the EBITDA. So like, yep. which is making the company more transferable. So I don't know if there was any strategies that you guys were doing and like, in like, or like, did you have any kind of fuzzy articulation of like, Hey, this is when and how we might sell, whether it was a financial buyer, did you think it was probably going to be a strategic buyer? And then like, was there anything operationally, strategically that, like, you know, you mentioned the, the trailers that you did knowing that you would probably get more for the business at some point? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, to go back to your first question, we that our biggest thing was to keep a clean running debt-free business. It's almost impossible in our business, but we did the best we could. So we went, you know, instead of having, you know, uh, we had a $4 million line of credit on both companies and we only had a million on each by the time it was all said and done. So we, but it was up pretty high at one point. So we just sold and sold and sold and drove debt down as much as we could possibly do. And we, we ran a tight business. One of my things is before, you know, one of the things I was doing when I was in the car business, is I was doing small business consulting. So I'd go, I'd go into small businesses and go, all right, this is what you're doing wrong. This is where you're spending the money wrong. And so I had a, some idea how to keep things real, real tight. Mm-hmm. And the, I ran the business like that for my entire career. And so we, drove debt down as much as we could. We made every employee accountable in the whole business to understand costs, understand what we're doing. And so that strategy lasted quite a bit. So with the idea of the, to look at EBITDA and to look at the multiple never even entered our mind until the day came. Honestly, oh, really? we did. I didn't care. Yeah, I didn't even care. And, and because it, I, if you haven't figured out yet, I got a bold personality and Bob's the same way. So when it came time to understanding what that multiple was, we were just going to tell them what the multiple was, you know, and, and negotiate from that point. So, so I mean, I, I know that sounds really, really simple, but it really was that simple. So, you know, and of course, you, you, it's a, it's like buying a car. That, that's pretty much what like the, what the process was. You know, go high, go low. It's it was it was actually enjoyable to me, but um, <laughs> we didn't even think of anything else until then. So what we did in the meantime is we just put, especially the leasing company. Bob put uh, originally. 10 11,000 gallon trailers out in Alaska with Fairbanks Natural Gas, which is a huge gas company in Alaska. And they stayed out there forever. So that was just crazy income coming in. They paid the trails off you know, 10 years before we sold and they kept paying them every single month. So explain that. Um, explain they destroy- how that worked. Explain so basically, that- we, we give that. We, the leasing company would be just like leasing a tank. So we leased them uh, 11,000 gallon portable trailers that they would, you know, would haul LNG with. And so they would just pay those like we did to anything else in the leasing company. They paid a monthly payment. You know, they were like two grand a piece per month, you know, times 10, you know, do the math. But you know, of course we had to pay because Bob did 10 trails at once. We rehabbed them all at, you know, hundred and something grand a pop. So, you know, it was a good amount of debt to pay down, but you know, they kept them forever. They rolled a couple down a hill. So they owed <laughs> us money. They had to pay a hundred. And then one was caught in a barn fire. One guy brought it home and put it in his horse barn and caught a fire and blew up. So <laughs> in the middle of Alaska. So the three trailers at the end of the day, they had seven of them left. And right before we sold, literally before we sold, they said, Hey, we want to return all these trailers. Well, in the contract was they had to pay for shipping to get those back to New Hampshire from Alaska. And so it was cheap and they were all beat up by that point. They had them 20 years and it was cheaper for them to literally pay us out of the contracts than it was to ship those things back. So they paid us out of the contract on the seven remaining trailers and they just kept them for parts and we never had to deal with them ever again. So that was, that was an amazing part of the business. So we got rid of all that crazy debt before we sold and we just, we literally ran the business with the idea of just keeping it clean, simple business every day with low debt. So as you were marching towards, you know, as you started getting knocks on the door, and it's very interesting the fact that your dad had been through this ringer before, because I think a lot of, I mean, a lot of people I talked to, Steve, or I've interviewed, they had never been through it. And then they get those knocks and they're just going in blind. And so they don't know what's yep. valuable, what's not valuable, what they should have been doing. And it's just totally they, like, they just get caught off guard of like, you know, what the game is that they're playing. So did you guys yeah. start like, I mean, was there anything on the tax or legal side or like either investment bank or any kind of advisors that you were, you know, having conversations with that were 
that were helping you along the way? Or was it like I can maybe get a gist from your guys' personalities that it's like, this is what we want and go pound sand if we don't get into it? Like, what was the, what was the, the, the advice strategy? Pound sand if you don't like it. And honestly, it was, it was, it was that simple. <laughs> and I, you know, and I hate to say that, but it was that simple. We, I knew what we had. Bob knew what we had. We were in a damn good business. It was simple, clean, honest company that we had. And we just kept it as, our books were so simple. It was crazy. There was not much to it. You know, we separated all three businesses and basically we were a repair shop. A tank came in, we repaired, it goes out, you bill for it. And we had maybe... 12, 15 invoices, tops 20 per month. That's it. But each one of our invoices was 15 to 40 grand. You know what I mean? So, you know, you, you do the math and, you know, and then the leasing company, we had a ton of work with every single month, but those are just for the stuff that you lease out every month. So mm-hmm. the actual month to month running of the business was simple as simple could get, but our numbers were there, you know, at the end, uh, at the end of the day, you know, right before our biggest year, I think right before we sold, we did scaffolded 6.3 million in sales. That's okay. without the leasing business. So, you know, so that, you know, that, that par- part of it, we just knew what we had. And we also knew that we have won. Our major competitor was in Ohio. He's still in business. Great guy. We had a very healthy relationship with him, but we knew what we had because there was only a couple of us in the country that had a reputation of excellence. We were one of them. And we pretty much set the standard in the business on how to do that. Every, a lot of people copied SCAF, um, their model. One of our competitors started doing leasing as well. They still do to this day. So there's a way to go about it. And we just knew what we had. And I didn't listen to anyone else what they said. I just so, kept focused on what we had. Which is awesome. So then, which makes it, you know, like you said, more simple, a lot more simple. <laughs> when when you're going towards yep. this and, and you have these conversations, because, you know, right now there's a lot of, I don't know how familiar you are with private equity, but there's a lot of financial buyers that are out roaming the marketplace. And so like, oh, hell yeah. You know, you have, you know, the, the competitive, the strategic competitors or, you know, buyers like Chart and the, the companies that were probably knocking on the door because it makes so much of a logical, like competitive sense. So like, as you're going through this, like, if you're not looking at multiple and looking at EBITDA, like how, how did you value the business? And then like, did you and your dad intend, like, was, I don't, I don't know if you guys sold the leasing with the repair business, but like, how were you planning on packaging up and like, how were you getting to the number that you guys wanted? Well, we started thinking that towards the end, it was kind of a, this is, this is a really weird how it happened. In 12, we had two or three businesses looking at us, Chart being one of them. We said no, it wasn't the right time. Our debt was still a little bit up there. So we had to, we said no. And in two, the be- end of 12, beginning of 13, we started going, okay, we really got to start thinking of a multiple here. <laughs> and that, okay, so then it started coming into it. What do we think this business is worth? And, and then all of a sudden, the, the biggest c- competitor to chart over in Italy knocked on our door. So here we are. This is, this is hilarious because here we are trying to drive a business basically down debt-free as much as possible. And here comes another company just like chart that makes tanks, but over in Italy. And they said, we want to come into the States and we want you to be that company that import our tanks. And I looked at Bob, I'm like, here we go. We're going to buy stuff again. We're going to, there goes our, there goes yeah. our credit line. <laughs> so, <laughs> and sure enough, and sure enough, we did. And that was in 13. We started doing it in 13, 14, 15, and 16. We imported new tanks from Italy and from India. It was, they had a comp, they had a uh, manufacturing facility in both countries. And so we were importing tanks to compete only with Char. And we did that on purpose. And we brought Italian business into the country that's never been here before. And it was fantastic. It was a ton of fun, but we were, we were taking business from them. And here's this little teeny company in, in, in New Hampshire, yet 
this monster of a business in, in Italy is, is basically utilizing our services to bring tanks in. So we would bring them in just the bottle. We would pipe them and paint them here and, and sell them out of SCAF. And that all of a sudden drove our debt back up. And then here comes chart and then four other companies knocking in 17. End of 16, beginning of 17, all at the same time. I'm like, all right, we got to go through this process again. So let's sell every piece of new equipment that we have or as much as we can. And we started driving down debt again. And it, it took us only a year and a half to drive down to where we were before. So it was pretty impressive, actually, because we, like, we, we just kept it simple and clean. So that we went through that process twice and we didn't want to, but we did just because it just made us more valuable. You know, and, and oddly enough, quick sidebar, they bought us and they turned around and bought that company out of Italy uh, six months later. Oh, crazy. So... When you, when you say that, <laughs> yeah, I, when was, I would know, I'm, I'm going to dive more into that. But the, like, so when you say that uh, you went through this process twice, like how, like, what was the process? Like, were you having, you and your dad having conversations with all these strategic buyers? Did you have any, like, you know, legal or tax or investment bank, any of the kind of advice sit next to you? Or like, what was the actual conversation uh, environment like? Yeah. We did in 2012. We went with a we went with an advisor out of Maine, and uh, we ended up saying we'll never do that again because when we were trying to sell in 12 before this company out of Italy came to us, I I think that was a part of the reason we didn't sell. But things happen for a reason. I truly believe that. So, mm-hmm. come the second time around, we said we would never go down that road again. I am not hiring an M and A firm. It's just not going to happen. We did everything ourselves with our own with our own lawyer, with our own accountant, and we kept it stupid, simple. And everyone was saying, you guys can't do that. I'm like, and I, of course, bold attitude that I have. I'm like, why can't we? So my, our, my our lawyer was our lawyer for a reason. And he was in, he came from M&A and our accountant was our accountant for, you know, my father has used the same firm since he was 20 something. And here he is almost 80 at that time. And so we just used our own internal accountant and our internal um, lawyer. And we, did everything from there. We did not go back to the M&A structure and hiring a, a lawyer. We sat down with these people. I mean, hiring a firm. We sat down with these people face-to-face, myself and Bob did, when everyone else started banging on our doors. I mean, it was five total major plays in the industry. Um, and the one we ended up going with, of course, is the one I still work for now, and that's chart. But there was reasons for that. But yeah, it was... Uh, I, so I, I, I can't stress enough how we didn't get we didn't get confused. We didn't get we didn't keep it complicated. We kept it simple. Well, like what what happened with the first round with the investment banker? Like what was the well? Like, he was he was he was not selling the business the way he should. He didn't understand it well enough. You know, they were looking at it differently than Bob and I would, and we just got so frustrated with the way he was valuing the business and the way he was looking at it and how he was portraying that to the potential buyers. And then, we, then I'm sitting there going, okay, if he's doing this wrong, and I still, if something happens and we do sell, I have to pay him this X amount of dollars, which is <laughs> crazy exorbitant amount of money. I'm like, this guy's an idiot. You know, no offense to him, but he was at that time. And, and <laughs> no I offense, you know, but he up, was. <laughs> no offense, but he really was. And I'm like, he just, he, he's a smart dude, but. He wasn't right for us. And yeah. so I, I'm in my head. I looked at Bob and I'm like, I can do this better than him. Why are we, why are we even hiring this guy? So we, he says, let's never do that again. And then we, of course, in 2013, we started that whole process over again and growing. So we said, if this ever happens again, we'll never do that again. We're going to do this ourselves. And that's why we never did it again. It's just, it wasn't, we look back at that process. We still talk about it to this day. And, and we would have got taken if we had let a company come in, an M&A company come in and do that for us because they didn't understand what we were doing. 
Well, it's interesting because like, I, I mean, not to go down a major rabbit hole, but that was the similar experience that we had is they didn't understand how complicated our business was between the leasing, the different profit centers, the all like the actual true intrinsic value of our, of the business. And so going back to the, boom, you just hit it on the nose. You, you yeah. just nailed it. it. They didn't understand all that was the intricacies of that business and same yeah. with us. Yeah. So then did you guys, like, as you guys are going down the second route, and by the way, I want to put a little big explanation point in the fact that you said your attorney was an M&A attorney. Because too many times, I mean, just like the fact you guys use your own advisors is fine, but you guys had people that were skilled in transactions, which too many times I see people, that's where things just absolutely become a disaster from deal structure perspective. So as that kind of goes into the, as you got five different buyers that are, that are knocking on your door, you know, how did you navigate those conversations and what to you, Steve, you know, for, again, I want to know, did you, was it the leasing and the, the repair at the same time? And then as you and your dad, you have two different people, two different age brackets, two different financial, probably personal financial situations. What, what criteria were you putting on in, that was important to you from this, these five different ones? So in our, in our kind of framework, we talk about there's, you know, the money is important, how much you get up front versus over time, whether you have to be an employee to get it. And then also like what's going to happen to your people, to your legacy. There's a lot of stuff that you're going to have to have decisions that are made on. And how did you, you what, what did you use as filters uh, with all those decisions that you had to make? Uh, it's an awesome question, Ryan. And you know, here's the deal. I, I truly believe once we started the process and we were doing it ourselves, and I believe in face-to-face, I believe in brutal honesty, and I believe in just talking to people. I think you can cover anything if you don't put on the facade of I'm an M&A guy and I got to do this way. No, just sit down, shut up and just talk to me. And that's basically <laughs> what we did. So when I needed to be involved in everything, every part of that, and Bob was it was funny because Bob kind of took an uh, interesting backseat during negotiations and put his two cents in when needed be, but he kind of let me go through the whole process. And of course, his, his experience was immeasurable uh, and his advice was immeasurable. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest things we said is, okay, of course, money is, is, is important. That's, there's no doubt. That's number one in what we're going to sell it for. Two is who do we pick the right person that gives my company scaff the leasing company, the property came with it, that had to go with it. That wasn't an option. Who is going to take that in then 10 years from now, I can know it's in good hands. And I look back and go, wow, they messed my whole business up that I spent my whole life. I didn't have kids because that was my child. And, you know, we had to, we, and all this stuff was important. Then the, one of the most important things to me, and I've always told my team this, if it wasn't for our employees, we would not have had a company. And so I needed, and this was non-negotiable. I needed to know that my employees were safe and that they weren't going to come in. And I remember getting emotional in the, I'm about as real as you get. I wear my heart on my sleeve. And I remember looking at pointing at the president at the time of try and said, you look at me in the eye and you promise me that this is not your you know, intention to come in here and just, you know, desecrate the business and get rid of everybody. And he's like, Steve, the reputation that you guys have is important. Your, your skill, your expertise with your guys in the shop is important. We are holding on to this because we want a strategic location. So it was important to me to understand that our employees were safe. Mm-hmm. And if they weren't, I would not, I would not have done it just for my own gain because we, I mean, face it, I could have kept going for another 15, 20 years and it would have been fine and making great money and, you know, having no, no debt in, you know, and never having, I never paid a car payment until we sold the business. I can't believe it. I paid for my own gas for the first time in 2018. I remember being at the, 
gas pump and saying, I called my father and I go, I just have to pay my own gas. This is, this sucks. <laughs> All right. So I got a good, I got a good comment for you, Steve. <laughs> I did a presentation in front of uh, nine entrepreneurs that all have pretty sizable companies. And I was going through my, like our five principles. And, and one of them is the financial targets and understand the valuations, all this stuff. And this guy raises his hand. He goes, right. Yep. I got to tell you one thing, not one owner in this room has any idea how much tires cost. Because <laughs> they nope. all, they nope, all not at all. Uh, so it's so great. So uh, I mean, I, 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 nothing car payments and you know anything that's for the house and you you name it. I, we just didn't pay anything. So it was a rude awakening when that happened, which was fu- it was a fun joke. It wasn't a bad thing. But so basically, bottom line is when we started looking at these business, those are really 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 important things to us. And then you then you have to nail down. Okay, who do we have looking at us? What's their you know, we came to we came to a point, Ryan. We had four offers all at once. So you know, there was three of them uh, that were just absurd, and actually five total offers out of six companies. Three of them were just absurd that I literally laughed at them on the phone, told them I loved them, and just get a clue. And I, I said, you know, let's go our separate ways. I appreciate you guys looking at our business, but there's not a chance. And I literally said those almost exact words. And then they came down to chart, and uh, they had the most synergies, and they had the most. Uh, opportunity for success to keep my and Bob's legacy to keep going and to keep these employees employed, and that was that was huge. And uh, employees it was a major decision that, maker for us. Twenty one. So then, yep. what, what yep. curious and uh, I don't I I don't know because it's a public company if all this stuff is disclosed or not. Because um, I don't usually get into the numbers, but every once in a while when I interview someone that sold to a public company, they're disclosed. But the you know the the nature of the deal, right? Because I think you know the things that you said are important to you, Steve. I think are important to a lot of uh, original founders of their employees, their legacy, their baby. I mean, like there's this is all ties really well into like what we do for a living. And but like and then trying to weigh those and quantify those against the numbers, right? Because like I have a friend that's like 25 offers and each one of those offers are different from a dollar amount and then different for what the company is going to, the buyer is going to do with the business. And you, exactly. you, have, you have to weigh yep. like, okay, well, how much do I actually care about my employees from a dollar figure for my own pocketbook, right? And so like, how are you, like when you had those conversations, you said, okay, chart is the person here and is the buyer. Is there anything that you did in the like overall deal structure from like, how much was it cash up front? Was you have to tear, take any notes? Did you have to like, did you get any you know, equity swap And like, how did all that structure get in line based on like, you know, and how did you reassure that your employees were going to be taken care of instead of just, you know, a handshake? Well, the, the employee thing was understanding that what they wanted to do, I'll start there and then work backwards. The employee thing, what they wanted to do with our business and why they were buying it, I was confident that they were not going to just you know come in, close the shop down just to get rid of a competitor. And they needed it because the landscape of our business was changing right in front of our eyes. People were buying each other out. The major companies, our customers, our mutual customers, excuse me, were buying each other out. And the landscape was changing. So they needed us, you know, if you look at the country as a whole and break it into, you know, four quadrants in the Northeast, we had everything locked up. In fact, we did business from the Northeast, all the, like I said, all the way to Alaska, down to Texas and down to Florida. We did business and we're only ones of the, that side that did business in the whole country because of the leasing piece of it. Mm-hmm. I knew, I knew that they re- wanted it for strategic reasons. So once that was established, we sat down with the employees and the key employees because they were my family. And again, hard on the sleeve, I just said, guys, this is what we're doing. In order to take this business to the next level, Bob and I would have to re-energize the business and t- I would take a, probably another $5 million to grow a, and, and get another location. And we just 
honestly, I didn't have it in me to do this again. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, for all the ups and downs that we were going through, it was tough. And, you know, my father was getting to the age, you know, he was 78 at the time when we decided to look at all this, 77. And he didn't, he didn't want to do it. He's like, hey, if you want to do it, go for it. And, but he says, I, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I said, oh, I, I agree. And I think the, the landscape is changing enough in the business that I don't want to be in the business anymore of owning it. I'll be glad to be in it, but I don't want to own it because of the unknowns. I mean, you know, business owners sit there and stare at the ceiling every night instead of sleeping is what most nights over 25 <laughs> years were like. So uh, yeah, <laughs> wonder yeah. where the next payday is coming from and, you know, and <laughs> how are you going to make, you know, pay, uh, payroll that week and the whole bit, all, all the stress that comes with it. So that being said, we then told the key employees of what we're doing and they were fine with it. They were so incredibly supportive. And the question out of probably once we sat the whole team down, one of the guys has been there forever since he was literally a kid looked at me and goes, Steve, are you staying? They said, yes. He goes, I'm fine. Well, and we, we couldn't believe the amount of trust that all these employees, I mean, every down to the kid that we last hired, we've been there maybe a month, all the way to the guy has been there 25 years, that they all were like, whatever you guys want to do, we're in. And that's the type of atmosphere and the family we had there. And it, that's amazing. I mean, you don't find that many places. And I'll still walk over, you know, it's, it's, I'm now, you know, the VP and I, of my division, the repairs division. So I, I managed uh, six different businesses and that was one of them. And so mm-hmm. I still walk into this day and get huge, huge hugs from all the employees that That's I haven't awesome. seen in a while, all the shop guys. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it was, it was a storybook type of ending to be honest with you. Did you, did you, and did your dad sell the leasing part as, was that all part of the package? Yes. All, yes, it had to be, you know, he kicks himself. He, he, he says to this day, we were just talking about a dinner the other night, actually on Saturday night, it, he, to this day, he, there's, there's a piece of him wish he kept the leasing piece of it because a public held company is going to run it a little bit differently than, than two guys, right? I mean, they have to worry about a lot of different things that the two private owners does not have to worry about, <laughs> yeah, with, especially on the lease, on the leasing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, a little bit more freedom. Said, oh, on he that said, you know, I should have kept it. <laughs> well, it yeah, yeah, a little bit more freedom on that end of it. So, so, but no, I think at the end of the day, there's no regrets on it. And they bought the buildings and land. That too, was huh? a part of it. They did. They had to. That was part of the deal. One of the one of the companies that were looking at us that just wanted the repair business. We said no. Another one. They, the other ones just didn't value us high enough. And so at the end of the day, we we did get a, an offer from Chart, and we said no because we were too far apart. So and I'll never forget this. July of seventeen, I called up the president and on a Sunday night at his house on his cell phone and said, "Dude, listen." And this is the president doing negotiations to the business with the CFO, which is now our CEO. Yeah. Um, she's a dynamo. Her name is Jill. She's amazing. But I call him up at his house. And I go, dude, this is oh, it's supposed to be this really, you know, corporate <laughs> meetings and all, yeah. all serious, <laughs> formal. And I go, I dude. call him up. I go, dude, I'm so pissed, pissed at you right now. He goes, what are you talking about? It's like eight o'clock at night. And he actually answered the phone. He goes, Steve, I go, yeah. I go, what are you guys doing? I said, if two guys in New Hampshire are willing to move, a million and a half. You big monster of a company can move a million and a half. Get your shit together. <laughs> let's meet halfway. Fly up here on Tuesday. Let's have dinner. He came up on Tuesday. We did it over dinner that night. And everything else just kind of transformed from there. And the due diligence started in the whole bit. <laughs> but yeah, it was that simple. I was so pissed. And my wife goes, you're actually calling him? I'm like, yeah, I don't care. I don't give a freaking ass who he is. Let's just call him. Well, so I call him and, he, and to this day, he, he's not with the company anymore. But to this day, I still talk to him. He's an absolute love. He's a sweetheart of a guy. 
That's well, and I think so, you know one of the big yeah. takeaways too is this: you could walk away. You know what I mean? Like you had the ability to walk away, which gives you the the. Confidence. Oh my God! Yeah, we weren't. We weren't. Yeah, we weren't settling. There was just no way we were settling. We were kind of lowest debt. We could about as close to debt free as we could get. We had a kick-ass business with a company that really wanted to explode with us in Italy, and and uh, so yeah, there was no walking away. But I, you know, once we were we we were you know almost some you know we were three million apart basically. And I, and we each had to move a little bit. And so that's, that was that phone call at eight o'clock on a Sunday night, dude, <laughs> you have to, if you, if we can move two small guys, you guys can move, let's get our shit together. I said, I think I might've said, pull your head out of your ass. And he burst out laughing <laughs> and he came up two days, two days later. We, we literally put a, a deal together over, over wine at a bar in, in New Hampshire. It was fantastic. That's awesome. So then of course, the, all, all the legal, all the legal stuff came in and all the due diligence period. And then it got serious. And then I, almost said no, like three times during that process, but no, it was, uh, it was an amazing way to do it. And I'll, if I had to do it again, I would do it myself again in a minute just so because of the way it went. That's, that's awesome. And like, you know, and I know for the lack of time, we're not going to get into the major due diligence part, but like the two big questions that I have, well, three, um, and then we can wrap up is one is, is, and you can take them whatever order you want is one is that like, because your dad had the building, the land and the leasing company, like, I don't know, like how, like, was it just, I'm just honestly curious to see from the son's perspective, because that's where I was, where like, I don't know if your dad's portfolio at that time was worth more than what you had and how that all worked. And it obviously it sounds like you guys had pretty open conversations. Like what, what did it all just say, Hey, this is what it was. And, and I mean, I'm just curious. Yeah. That whole yeah. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. It was, um, the, he owned the, so basically when the deal was structured, you know, we had values on each business, of course. Right. Yep. So each business was valued. So I knew what I was getting out of the scaff sale, the repair side sale, and he knew what he was getting out of the other two, which I had no part of. And I did not care because mm-hmm. that's how we set it up 25 years ago. That's and so you know, that's, that's that level of trust that, that was there. And it was not even, I never even questioned it once in my life, not even through that whole process, never even thought twice about it. Okay. And come that's final awesome. day, those numbers were identical and everything was exactly how we set it up to be. It was that's never awesome. an argument. Well, I mean, and, and uh, clarity brings, you know, confidence and good. I mean, it's just, that's awesome. I, I give you out a lot of props because a lot of people, I, I mean, I've heard where like all of a sudden there's like this whole, you know, it's a lot of this relies on me. And then that whole, you know, that voice comes into the head and just destroys relationships and deals. And, you know, what, why did you, oh, absolutely. why did you say that you almost killed the deal twice in due diligence? Was there, I mean, especially selling to a public company with the silent period and all that stuff. What was like, was there any kind of epiphanies or like major takeaways that you want to give for the listeners on that? Well, yeah, the due diligence process is, is going to, it will be the most, especially if it's your baby and most, it's not, it's not a, an investment thing. They actually grew the business for a reason and like we did. And so when you look at the due diligence process, they literally, I don't know how else to explain it, but to be brutally honest, they literally will climb up your butt with a fine tooth comb and look at everything. <laughs> I call it cavity search, man. And, Bend down. <laughs> yep. Totally cavity search and brutal honesty. And of course, I, I have a mouth on me and I've actually can't believe I haven't dropped an F-bomb during this whole interview. But in, in, in so, and I did during that, during that process, these guys would come in and sit in front of me and say st- such stupid shit that I would literally look at, get, get out of my office. This is, uh, get out before I kill you. And that's how it went. I mean, that's how honest I am with these guys. And so, 
it, it, they just look at everything and they weren't looking at it the right way. So we'd have conversations about that. I'd call the president up and go, please get these people out of my office. You go, Steve, just breathe and go through the process. But not only that, the due diligence process was hard from the standpoint that you have to still run your business in case it didn't happen. Yep. And so you're Bingo. busy, yep. crazy busy all day long and trying to run a respectable business and keep everything on the up and up and actually doing business as normal. Yet your days were just obliterated by getting these people the information that they wanted. And so, you know, the gal that is still working for the, for that business up there in New Hampshire, my old company, um, our, our internal accounting woman, she, uh, had many breakdowns during the process and between three of us, I mean, she was my right arm basically. So between Uh myself, her and Bob, we would be like, what, this is a nightmare. And the due diligence process, it worked out to be okay, but it was an absolute nightmare, the amount of information. But we had our shit together. So the amount of information they were asking, we had everything on a, in a, you know, literally ready at the, at the ready for them. But then came the stupid questions and why'd you do it this way? And it's just like, oh my God, get out. Well, so well, that was a very trying period. Well, and what I find it crazy interesting that it needs to be a huge takeaway from anybody is you guys had everything you said it more times than anything is you had a, you ran a tight ship and you had everything clean and you had everything ready and it was still a nightmare. <laughs> so like that's yeah exactly <laughs> it was a nightmare. So that's the reality. So if you go into it uh, in a, a potential opportunity goes into selling a business and, and especially to a public company like like Chart, if you go into it without the knowledge and you think it's going to be an easy process during the due diligence, everything else to me was fun easy negotiating back and forth, you know, walking away from the table because we didn't have to. That's all was okay. That's just the art of the deal, right? That's just talking mm-hmm. to people and doing business. But it's the due diligence process that has no rhyme or reason to it and the stupid stuff they ask for. It's just <laughs> why wow. did you call it why did you and call so this you, <laughs> expense this way back in two thousand two? What? <laughs> uh, well I'm not, I'll never forget this conversation. One of the guys is up and he's sitting in front of me he's in a finance guy and he asked the question. I said, you know what? I won't say his name, but I said, you know what? You need to take a break and it's almost lunch, so why don't you go to lunch? He says, why do we have to stop now? I said, because I'm gonna punch you. <laughs> and I was that always totally serious i said i'm i am literally going to punch you in your face get out of my office go to lunch when let, let me breathe for another hour come back and we'll start all over he looked at me like okay and he literally got out and walked out and he came back everything was fine but it gets tense because you know they're, they're, they're it's it's your baby right i mean yep. you had it in your interview question it, it is your baby and and it but it's still going to be an impossibly hard uh avenue to go down but uh, yeah, we ran a tight business and, you know, and I, you know, by doing that, we never touched on this, but th- what that included with running a tight business is making every one of your employees all the way down to the guy who sleeps the floor in the shop accountable for every one of their actions and involving them in the business. And I did that with all my guys. And that was one of the things I learned from Chrysler actually is making your people accountable. And that, and that was huge. That was a massive piece of it. So come, come time to do this. We had every answer possible and it was still a nightmare. So to answer your question. <laughs> I, I, yes. No, I, it's, it's so true. And so the, the kind of, as we're wrapping up here, Steve, what, what has it been like being an employee? And then what is it like after the close and how the, like, what's it like? All right, the, the after, I'll start with the after the close. The day the, we never touched on the way the deal was structured, but basically it was all cash deal up front um, with, the, with a holdback for uh, due diligence and for, you know, and for insurance reasons, in case anything mm-hmm. happened, you know, it, blah, blah, blah. It was not that much. It was, I think, 750000 out of, you know, it, it's the total sale of the business. So it was tiny with three specific paybacks. And the last one was just this last January. So it was very small, but that sigh of relief 
of not having that stress of being an entrepreneur right away was immeasurable. I remember the night it closed and the night the money hit the bank. I have never slept so well in my life. And, yeah. you know, and my, my, a lot of my stress and a lot of entrepreneurs will probably say the same thing. A lot of my stress came from looking at a business, not just for myself, but I looked at the business and I've always conducted myself this way is every single decision that I make it affects my employees and their families and their children and, and everything they do. So, and that was my stress. I, I wanted to make sure I was getting up every morning and making the right decision, not only for me and my family, but for all my employees, because it affected so many people, you know, you got, you know, 21 employees and multiply by that by the family size they have. So that was a massive amount of stress every day for me, making sure we had the right insurance and all that stuff and blah, blah, blah. So that night I looked at the ceiling. I'm like, Oh my God, I, I don't have to stare at the ceiling tonight and think about what I'm going to do tomorrow. I just went to sleep. And it was an amazing experience. But I woke up the next day. My wife was laughing at me. Still laughs at me to this day. I woke up the next day still pretending it's my business and I still do now. So I still act that way. I still make decisions that way. And I'm actually training and mentoring the employees that are running these facilities like I used to to think like that. Because often employees for big companies don't think it's their back pocket. They don't think it's their dime. They, so they'll spend money willy nilly and not even worry about it. And you can't do that. So, you know, I'm in the middle of teaching all these people how to run a business, a small family owned business the right way, even though you're a publicly owned company. So That's it's a challenge. Cool. It's fun, but uh, yeah, it's very cool. And it's, you know, they look at me like, a, you know, the dog that turns the head when they're really confused. That's the look <laughs> I get nine times out of 10. But after a full two years, they're getting it. Um, Have you ever heard are, of the book um, called the, the, great, the Great Game of Business? No. It's, uh, you would really like it. So it's based, uh, the author is Jack Stack and he's the father of open book management and it's called The Great Game okay. of Business. And uh, you would totally get, you would totally geek out on that. It's all about getting everybody. I'm, like, I'm he, already, I'm just writing it down yeah, already. Yeah. So I'm, he actually, <laughs> it immediately. honestly, Steve, he has actually where they call it weekly huddles and it's all about the business and it's all about the finances. He has a person's picture right next to every single line in the PL. And so, yep. you yeah, know what? And that's, cool. and that's a massively important. It's awesome that you said that because, you know, I, every guy in the shop had their own portion of the budget on a monthly budget and they, you know, they got so used to owning that mm-hmm. and so used to being a part of the business, you know, we'd have, you know, uh, monthly meetings and tell them exactly where we financially, what happened, who affected what. And, you know, it built such a team atmosphere to have that accountability down to the smallest, smallest level of the business that uh, to me, it's the only way to run a business. And even though we're publicly traded, now chart i literally run all six facilities like that and make every person accountable and they love it you know why it gives them an extra bounce in their step it gives them an extra reason to come to work every day instead of just looking at it going wow i'm not even i'm just an employee i don't they don't care what i think you can't you can't do that so i got a a question unfortunately corporate america is like that (laughs) i was just gonna say so like you know given your personality i think we could relate a little bit is like you fit, you fit in there because like, not like, you know, not every corporate America or public company wants a entrepreneur spirit running around and saying what they, they can say because they've, they've cashed a check and they don't really have to be there. So like, how do like, is it just that that's kind of the, the culture it is, or is there, I'm just curious on the, the dynamics there. Um, actually the culture changed when the previous management was all dispersed. The current CEO has that really open type of outlook on things. And quite honestly, they allow me to do me. And if they didn't, I wouldn't be here. And, you know, it's one of those things where I don't worry about what people are going to say and don't worry about how management looks at what I'm doing, because I honestly, in my heart, I know it's the right way to do run a business. And, Mm -hmm. 
you know, and if I guess at the end of the day, Ryan, I look at these managers that run the six facilities for me, and I'm like, if I can just teach them and until the day I ride off in the sunset, if I can just teach them five things over the next two years, as I said this myself you know, two years ago when we sold, if I can just teach them five things each that will take them and allow them to run and improve their business careers, then I'm a happy camper. They're all not going to get it. You know, you have to read through those, the problem children. But if I can just teach them something that they understand how to run a small business, they'll take that with them forever because the, the methodology to run a small business can be used in, in corporate America and tiny, tiny business. It's all the same to me. That's and awesome. I just do me. Um, sometimes I get, you know, spanked from doing me, but um, I just do me and I just run with it. And <laughs> Hey, but then, but you can be comfortable with it because be, being you is easy. <laughs> so, well, I'm doing. I you know. I know I'm doing the business the right way, and so I'm not doing anything. And put it this way: this is, I guess, this is the best way for an entrepreneur working for someone to think about it. I am not making any decisions that I would not make if I was still the owner. And I think that's the key. I think that's, that's, the, that's the secret sauce because, you know, too often employees get stuck in these ruts and they just, they think they're, they're not part of the puzzle, which they actually are. So you make decisions it's like it's your culture. dollar and it affects your wallet. You know, that, that's, a, that's the key. I agree with you if the culture is the right way and that allows people to do that, right? I mean, there are very big dictatorial cultures out there where you actually don't have any say. So I think what's interesting is that you aligned and you found a place out of the five buyers that allowed this to happen because, you know, a different buyer could have, you know, been, been completely different, which, you know, doesn't allow you to be you. And it just, I see it, you know, both ends of the spectrum and it's super awesome that you're happy because like there's stories. Yeah, there it is. It's, it's fun. So, hey, well, we, you know, I don't, don't think it's, it hasn't, we haven't had a challenge just because sometimes I life. get frustrated that they don't see exactly my way, but, um, and I want to just friggin' blow a top, but at the end of the day, it's like, okay, I, I don't, I don't need to be here. I'm here cause I want to be, and yep. it's actually awesome. not, not so bad, but the, the, the day I told my manager, the day that it, it ends not being cool, then you'll be the first to know <laughs> and I'll walk away and, and walk away knowing I did the right thing. So. So then if we were to go back and, you know, say something to the Steve of your past, like 25 years ago, or another listener that is in that part of your journey, of the journey, is there any, what would be one of your one or two big takeaways of like, Hey, if you just think about this in this way, it'll, it'll really move the needle. You know, I came to that question in the, in the, in the, basic outline that you sent. And I had a hard time with that one. I have notes on every one of your questions except for that one. And I look back and I wrote one note this morning and I wrote absolutely nothing because it, it literally every mistake I made and every decision I made, good, bad, or indifferent, made me the owner I was the day we sold. So honestly, I am, this is weird. This is, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I'm the same guy I was at 10 years old and I am now my same boisterous attitude, <laughs> my same, my same you know, ballsy um, outlook on things. I just, I just, I am that person. And I, you know, I have friends that have known my entire life. Go, oh my God, you haven't changed one bit since we were in grammar school. <laughs> and I really haven't. So, you know, and someone just told me that recently and I burst out laughing because of this, of this question you gave me. And then the guy just said it to me two days. And so I, I absolutely nothing. Good I, and I, and I say that sincerely, sincerely because I, I, I've made a ton of mistakes over the years. And, but, 
they all taught me how to be a better business owner. And if we can't grow from making stupid decisions as we all do, then we shouldn't be doing what we're doing. So as long as enough life threatening and, and, <laughs> and put everyone's jobs and business at risk, I think we're doing okay, but I wouldn't change a darn thing. I loved every minute of it. That's really awesome. Did. If uh, someone wants to reach out and wants to run an idea by you or just follow you or what, what's uh, what's the best mode of communication for you? Is it LinkedIn? Is it email? Is it, you know, uh, email is email is one email or my phone number. I am open to any entrepreneur out there to help, to guide, to even take advice myself. We're never too old to uh, learn, but uh, email and, and phone number, anybody could reach out to me that's listening to this. So I, I'd love to talk to people about business. And then those are in the show notes. So Steve, this has been an absolute blast uh, yep. having you on the show, man. I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed it. Well, Ryan, my pleasure too. It's been, it's been fun. And I, and I didn't realize how much we had in common and I probably, <laughs> you and I could probably keep talking for another five hours and, and, you know, get a, get a, get an old fashioned well, bourbon. At the I was going to say, we need, we know, need to hit I, the, I really appreciate it. We need to hit the stop record if we're going to do that. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but my pleasure. I sincerely appreciate you reaching out and, uh, and uh, like anything we've talked about today, if I help one person, then I'm a happy camper. I hope you enjoyed listening to that interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. Steve is so authentic and I absolutely love how he's so comfortable being himself. That's honestly why I do what I'm doing. And I can't imagine that anybody that's listening, that's an entrepreneur that takes all the risks that you do has any other desire than to constantly be yourself. So the big takeaway is if you want to be yourself and have the freedom and the choices to do what you want, when you want, with who you want, you have to build a valuable business that gives you the option to have those choices. If you have a company that's highly reliant on you, that doesn't give you the financial flexibility because it's not worth what you need it to be worth to be financially free, then you're going to be stuck making decisions that you don't want to make and or you're going to have to sacrifice things that you don't want to sacrifice. If you build a valuable business that's enjoyable for you to run, that kicks out cash, that's also valuable to the marketplace because other people want it, you're going to have the ability to one, be yourself, two, sell to who you want for however much you want, three, the ability to walk away and not sell at all. You're just giving yourself the highest amount of options and flexibility that you possibly can have, which in my opinion, is the whole point of being an entrepreneur that you get to create your own destiny. If you want to know more about how to do that, check out one of our two-day boot camps where we share how to do that based on the five intentional growth principles, where we explain how to grow a valuable company with the end in mind by understanding all the different exit options, by diving deep into valuations, by lining those up with what you ultimately want from your business, and then how to implement a growth strategy that gets you what you want. So with that being said, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Steve and I will see you next week.